we are so grateful that you chose to be with us this morning. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here for one of our worship experiences today. And if it's your first time or maybe your first time in a long time, we are so pumped that you're here. Church, can you do me a favor? Can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Come on, come on. And for those of you who are tuning in online with us as well, we're excited that you're here. We are in the middle of a message series called Escaping the Cave. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, learning from this guy named Elijah on how to get out of the dark places that we get into sometimes in our lives. And so in week one of this message series, we talked about how do you deal with suicidal thoughts. And then in week two, we talked about what it looks like to overcome exhaustion. And I got some messages from some people this week that said, Pastor, I took a nap. And I was like, praise God, come on, right? And if you weren't one of those people that got to take a nap last week, maybe you get a nap this week in Jesus' name. You need rest. Last week, what we talked about is that the way to overcome exhaustion is through rest and nourishment. We found all of that in 1 Kings chapter 19. And 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we've been. It's where we're going to continue to be for our time together. But this guy named Elijah was a prophet of God. He was faithful. And then there were some people who were trying to kill him. Now, he's honored God. He's served God. But he finds himself in a dark place. And as we left off last week, He's just ate and slept and ate and slept. And now he's on this 40-mile journey, and he arrives at this cave. And when he gets there, this is what the Lord says to him in 1 Kings chapter 19, <coughs> beginning in verse 9. It says this, There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord. And if you're not familiar with what that word zealously means, to have zeal is to pursue something with enthusiasm. He's saying, Lord, I've, I've chased after you. I've served you with passion and excitement. I've zealously served the Lord. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What Elijah is doing in this moment is he is expressing his disappointment. Have any of you ever experienced disappointment? Come on, we got more Panthers fans in the house than that. Like, I know you... (laughs) Too soon, right? No. You and I have all experienced disappointment. Some of the disappointment that we experience comes from people. That's some of the source of Elijah's disappointment. He's telling God, I've served you faithfully, but those people. You ever been there? (laughs) Where you start to talk about those people, those people who did you wrong, those people who knew better, those people who let you down, those people who weren't there for you. We've experienced disappointment from time to time. But the good news for you and I, if we experience disappointment, here's the first thing. Actually, before I hit the first point, I believe that there's tremendous power in taking notes during a Sunday morning. And the reason why it's important is because when you take notes, it's kind of like a cough drop. You ever put a cough drop in your pocket? It's not because you need it right now. It's because there may come a time when you need it down the road. 
Notes, when, when you're listening to a message, work the same way. You might not need them currently, but I, I promise you, if you have breath in your lungs, you are going to experience disappointment in the near future. It's just how life works. That's not the encouraging word for this morning. We'll get to that later. But you're going to experience disappointment. And so when you do, here's some things, here's some tips, here's some things that we find in Scripture that can help us get through it. The first thing that I gleaned from this passage is this. You can bring your disappointment to God. You can bring your disappointment to God. When Elijah is there, the Lord asks him, what are you doing here? It's a question that I think God may propose to you and I when we find ourselves in a place that we never intended to be in one of those dark seasons. How did you get here? What are you doing here? And really the answer that Elijah would give God is, is, is he could almost say this, it, 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 God, I've come to complain. Because <laughs> look, I've zealously served the Lord. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. But you've got these people and these people are terrible. They've torn down your altars. They've worshipped other gods. They've done all of these wrong things against you. But not only have they done these wrong things against you, now they're trying to kill me. And I've been faithful. I haven't done anything wrong. But you and I, in those moments when we experience disappointment, have the beautiful opportunity to take that disappointment right to God. We don't have to avoid him. We don't have to stay away from him. We can bring that disappointment to him. And there's times where you and I experience great disappointment in people, but there's also times when we experience disappointment with God. I think part of Elijah's frustration is like, hey, God, if I've been so faithful and I've been so obedient, why in the world would you let these people do this to me? And this is not the only time we see someone who's disappointed in God. It reminds me of the story of a guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus was really good friends with Jesus, but one day Lazarus gets sick. So they send a message to Jesus to let Jesus know that his friend Lazarus is sick. And the whole reason why they sent a message to Jesus is because Jesus is a great physician. He's a miracle worker and a healer. And the goal is that when Jesus hears that one of his close friends is sick, he's going to come running and he's going to heal his friend Lazarus. But then scripture lets us in on this little detail. It says that in, in, in uh, John 11, it says that Jesus stayed where he was for three days. There's no urgency in Jesus. He finds out his friend is sick. He has the ability to heal him. He can do this. He can make this miracle happen. But he chooses to stay where he is for three days. And while Jesus is waiting and staying where he's at, his friend Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus comes into town to see Lazarus' family, it says this in John chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus is greeted by the sisters of Lazarus. And it says this, But Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have only have been here, my brother would not have died. What she's doing in this moment is she's expressing her frustration. She's expressing her disappointment to Jesus to say, if you hadn't have waited three days, if you would have shown up when I thought you were going to show up, if you would have come when I called, then this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever been there? Yeah. You ever been there when you thought God should come and he didn't come in 
the timeline that you thought was necessary. And there's disappointment that's there. The good news for us is this is not something that, that we see. And, and, and here's why it's important that I think you can bring your frustrations and you can bring your disappointment to God because God not only includes this in the text, but we don't see Jesus reprimand her for the way she approaches him. That means you can come to God when you're frustrated. You can be honest about your disappointment. But have you ever wondered where disappointment begins? If you're taking notes, here's disappointment occurs when my expectation and reality don't line up. So the gap between expectation and reality is where disappointment is created. The expectation for Martha was that when she called on Jesus, he would come to heal her brother. But the reality was he stayed where he was for three days. That gap was where disappointment began. For Elijah, he thought, man, I've, I've served you faithfully. I've been a prophet and, and I've done all the right things. I've, I've done everything I needed to do. And, but the reality was even though he did all the right things, people still hated him. Now, in, in all reality, if you read through the Old Testament, I'm not super sure why Elijah thought people would like him. No one likes the prophets. Every time they stood up for truth and they were honest about the, the, where they found themselves and they were honest about God's judgment against sin and no one was pumped. But Elijah's like, God, I, I don't think I signed up for this. I've been there before. We started this church uh, a little over five years ago. Almost five and a half. September will be six years. That's crazy. Um, but on this journey, there have been times where and church people, they're mean sometimes. People go like, why do you love lost people? Because lost people ain't half as mean as church people. It takes a special kind of person to hear about the good news of Jesus and then still be mad all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so we started this church and we were faithfully serving Jesus and faithfully following Jesus. And I remember the first time like somebody got real mad at me for something dumb. Um, and And... I, I say it's something dumb. My wife laughs because if you get mad at me for something, I'll tell you it's dumb. I'm like, that's not. That's dumb. No, that's not a reason. But I'm like, God, I've served you faithfully. And you got people mad at me all the time for nothing. Why? There's disappointment that's there. But the good news is when you and I experience disappointment, we have the opportunity to come to Jesus every single time. Whether our disappointment is with people or with God. I think many of, of most of the time when you and I have disappointment with people, it's because expectation is a really powerful tool. Yeah. Expectation uh, paints the perfect future that we expect or want to see. The problem is you can paint that perfect future all day, but the moment it involves people, you might as well throw it out the window because <laughs> people aren't perfect. So most of the time, the reason why you're disappointed is because you have unrealistic expectations that you've placed on other people. So sometimes in, in church, when we do life together, we believe that church is not something you attend. It's a community you belong to. But when you get involved in biblical community, when you get involved with church people, here's what you're going to realize. They still got problems. But sometimes our expectation is just because someone said they're a follower of Jesus now means they don't have issues anymore. And so you have your first conflict with them and you're like, 
well, they know Jesus. They should never do that. And it's like, you're probably right. They probably shouldn't do that. Here's the reality. They're still people. They still have faults and flaws just like you. But our expectation sometimes sets us up for failure. But your expectation also has the ability to be a great tool and a resource. When you have expectations in a healthy way or expectations in the right things, you can come in on a Sunday morning and expect to hear from God. And when you have that expectation, no matter what the content of the message is that day, the good news is you're going to leave hearing from him. When we have expectation, not that God will do something the way we want him to do, but that he will come through for us, we'll see that he is faithful every single time. So Elijah's been complaining to God, and this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, as we kind of continue in the story. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountains. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood before the entrance of the cave. Now, if you and I read this too quickly, we'll go, that was a lot that happened in just a couple of verses, and I have no clue what it means. Here's the, this is why I'm here. I'm here to help you. So, in, uh, in 1 Kings, if you read throughout the Old Testament, here's what you'll find is that the wind, the earthquake, and the fire were all symbols that were used by God to communicate his judgment against sin. And so, when it says that God is, is judging those things, he's in the, he's in the wind He's, the, a windstorm came through, but he's not in the wind. And an earthquake came through, but he's not in the earthquake. And then he, the fire came through, but he's not in the fire. But then he appears in a whisper to Elijah. I think what God is trying to remind Elijah of is that he is God and Elijah is not. Yeah. When you and I experience disappointment, sometimes with people, one of the first things that we want to do is to get judgment or revenge, or to see justice come about in those situations. And I think God would remind every single one of us today that he is God and we are not. That you don't have to carry the pressure or the responsibility of being the one. Here's why judgment is so um, detrimental to our faith, is because when we judge other people, what we're saying is, hey God, I don't think you're able to do a good enough job, so I'm going to take over for you. So, so when we allow God to judge, Elijah's mad because the people are doing all these things and, and now they're trying to kill him. He does over-exaggerate. When he says, I'm the only prophet left, he's actually not. He's, he's over-exaggerating. Sometimes you've been there, right, where you're just complaining about something and you're, over, you're just stretching it, right? The world is against me. Two people are mad at you. You know, like that's the reality of the situation. But in all of that, God is reminding Elijah that he's able to bring justice. He's able to take care of those people who are opposing him, who are standing against him. But in all of that chaos, in all of that noise, in the, in the wind, 
when things are very loud and in the earthquake, when things are shaken up and breaking loose, in the fire, when there are things being destroyed, God doesn't appear in the chaos. He shows up in a whisper. So you and I, in those moments when things are blowing and when things are shaking and when things are being destroyed, have to quit letting everything going on around us remove our ability to hear a God who is close and beside us. He is a God who is with you in the middle of the chaos. He is a God who is with you in the storms and in the struggle. And what I came to remind you of today is that God is bigger than any opposition you are experiencing. So this opposition that Elijah is facing, these people who want to kill him, for Elijah, this seems like it's going to be the end of his life. For him in this dark place, in this dark season, he feels like there's no way he's going to make it out. And God is orchestrating this beautiful display of natural disasters in some regards to remind him of just how powerful he actually is. That there may be some forces that come against you. There may be some things in your life that get shaken up or some things that get destroyed. But friends, take hope in the fact that God is bigger and greater than any opposition you're experiencing. Whether that's the circumstances of life or it's actually people who are coming against you. God is bigger. There was a season in our church um, a few years ago where uh, we had a guy who was on our team. He was serving, and, uh, and he was leaving the church. There is a right way to leave a church, and there's a wrong way to leave a church. Right. And if here's why it gets weird. Sometimes people try and leave churches like they leave jobs. And so when we leave a, when we leave a church, we just complain about all the things we didn't like on the way out. And what we try and do is God may be prompting us to relocate, but we use human reasoning to justify God's prompting. At the end of the day, if God told you to go, peace be with you. But you ain't got to burn the house on the way out. You don't have to use human reasoning to justify God's prompting. That's how the world works. That's not how the church works. And this guy was leaving, and he wasn't leaving, in a, he wasn't leaving well. And when I say he, like, tried to burn the house down. It's, it's metaphoric in nature, but there were hundreds of text messages that, were went, that went out, and we went from being this great uh, role model to uh, heretics, and the church was bad. I, I was Judas. I, I mean, there were all of these things that were coming out. And, and I just remember looking at, at Tori, and I remember going to God and going, what the heck, man? <laughs> like, I'll be honest. I've been faithful. Like, I, I stepped out in faith. We planned this church, and, and we've been serving you wholeheartedly. Like, I don't, I, I think when you've said, like, hey, I want you to take this step of faith, and people are going to think you're crazy, I was like, cool, man, they already do. So, you know, like, I've been obedient. I've been willing. I, I, I mean, I've done everything you've asked me to do, and now I've got this guy who's, who's trying to destroy everything. And there was a lot of chaos. There were things being shaken, and I just remember going away and, and kind of spending some time with God, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And in those moments, in the moments of all the chaos, what you really need is you need that whisper from God. 
You need all the distractions, all the chaos. You don't need any of that. What you need is to hear from the Lord clearly. And what the Lord communicated to me is, I'll fight for you. And I was like, that's cool, but that's not how I work. <laughs> I kind of like to fight for me. If, if you know my, my personality, I'm a debater in, by nature. I like to, I'm easily the kind of person, you want to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe? we can do that. It's not going to bug me. So when God's like, I'll fight for you, you don't have to do anything. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy. You can tell somebody else that, but I don't know that that's, what, but I remember, I was like, well, what do I have to lose? In all honesty, everything feels like, like I don't feel like it's going to make it. I'll let the Lord fight for me. So literally, we're going through all of this chaos. There's a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes. But every Sunday, I'm just getting up and teaching like nothing ever happened. I came to our staff, and we're getting blasted on social media. And I go, hey, I don't care what you do. There's only one thing I'm asking you not to do, and that's defend me publicly. Like, don't defend me or the church at all on social media. God will fight for us, and we'll just let the chips fall where they fall. And through that whole season, here's what happens. When you remember that God is bigger than any opposition you're facing and you let him fight for you, truth prevails. My message from day one ain't changed. We've been preaching to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. If you let, I'm going to say this and you might get mad. If you let somebody run for long enough and don't feel like you have to defend yourself publicly, Judas always hangs himself. Truth always comes out. So we let God fight for us in that season. We let God do all the work. And at the end of the day, truth prevailed. We move forward stronger and healthier as a team than we ever have in the past. Right. And I'm not saying that God caused all of those bad things to happen. But here's what I do know. God uses those hardships and those circumstances for you and I to become stronger as believers. He uses those hardships to unify us. And remember, church, Romans 8.37 says this, that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you are a follower of Jesus, even when you are experiencing the worst circumstances and situations, you do not have to walk around as a victim when in Christ you are more than a conqueror and have victory. You have victory. It's a predetermined thing for every single follower of Jesus. So get up in the morning, whether you've got hardships or not, and remember that you are a conqueror, that God in you is greater than whatever is going on in the world around you. So we keep reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, because God's just done all these incredible things. And he appears to Elijah in a whisper, and then it says, and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes God asks you the same question multiple times because you didn't get the answer right the first time. <laughs> but this is Elijah's response. He replied, well, I have zealously served the Lord, God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That look familiar? It's the same exact thing that he said at the very beginning. Here's what I want you to know. If you're not careful with your heart, you will predetermine how you're going to respond to the situation, whether or not God speaks to you. 
So the reason why an encounter with God is meant to change you, not keep you where you're at. Elijah has this big encounter with God, but he's already predetermined how he's going to deal with this circumstance and this situation. And what he's determined is his best route is to complain about it. And what I came to challenge you with this morning when you're in the middle of disappointment is to stop complaining and to start seeking. Complaining has a habit of keeping you and I stuck in the middle of whatever funk we find ourselves in. So we go to God and we come to God and we rehearse and we say the same thing over and over and over again. And when we get in our car, we begin to rehearse and say the same things over and over again. And you begin, you ever had that conversation with yourself about what you're going to say to that person the next time you come in contact with them? And you're driving, you ever lost an argument with you? Like, how's that even happen? I'm controlling this thing. But here's the thing, you're not. Your feelings are. That's why you can't win. Because your feelings are not based on reality. They're based on circumstances and situations. Because when your circumstances change, your feelings change, which is why you can't trust it. So don't be reliant on how you feel in the moment. You need to go open-handed, ready to hear from God so that you can seek after him and he can change your course and direction. I've been learning in my prayer life that the best thing I can do is come to God open-handed. Because what I know is that he's way smarter than I am. And if I'm so close-fisted and if I'm if I've already predetermined how I'm going to encounter things or I'm, I'm predetermined how I'm going to deal with certain situations or people, I might miss out on divine wisdom on how to deal with whatever I'm facing. There were creative problems. I'm telling you, when we, uh, there, one of the situations, the Lord years ago, 2014, uh, yeah, no, nah, 2013, um, it was before Tori and I had gotten married. I've gotten a journal where I felt like the Lord said this was our building. I tried for years to buy it. And like I would go to Allie, and, and Allie uh, at the time was our CFO. She's now our executive director. But we would talk, and I'd be like, I tried to buy the building. They ain't going to let us buy the building. But the Lord said it's my building. So I don't really. So we, we'd be like, okay, well, we're going to try and buy the building. We couldn't buy the building. I'm like, I'm getting disappointed. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, Lord, you said this was my, this was my building. How are you going to like I say, I'd like to buy it. They say, no, that doesn't seem like the way this ought to work out. So we try to buy it. They say, no. So, so then we're like, okay, fine. This, maybe this is not our building. I am human enough to realize there are times I get words wrong. So we're like, all right, we're going to buy some land. We're going to build a building. That'll be our building. We go to buy land up the road. We're looking at this 46-acre lot. We were like, this is going to be it. This is going to be perfect. Here's a problem. With the way water lines run in Mount Pleasant, it could only accommodate two single-family homes. I'm like, these people use the bathroom way more than that. <laughs> Dang, that just ain't going to work. Ain't going, dad, dad, maybe that's not our building. And as we're in the middle of negotiating on a 46-acre plot of land, the people who bought the building gave us a call. The problem was when they gave us a call, they wanted $10,000 a month for rent. And I was like, Jesus is going to have to come back first because I ain't. All my riches are in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't got, I ain't got, I ain't got that kind of money. At the high school, we were paying, so in the high school and the offices, we were paying about $4,000 a month. So I was like, that's really where I'm comfortable. 
we're talking. So we start the negotiation, and they're at 10,000. I'm like, I'm at 3,000, you know. <laughs> we're sitting down at the table. And I remember at that, we're at a dinner meeting, and one of the guys said, I don't even think we're playing in the same ballpark. And I said, I think you're right. <laughs> Here's the problem. I feel like God said this is my building, so I don't know what we're going to do. And we were getting ready to walk away from the whole thing because we couldn't come to an agreement on numbers. So I'm disappointed, but I go to God, and I'm like, all right, Lord, what, what, what are we going to do? And I just felt the Lord. It was very simple. It was just ask them why they want so much money. It's like, well, that's easy. So I made a phone call. I said, hey, why, why do you want so much money for the building? He said, well, we know what it's going to cost to do the roof and the HVAC and all that. We need to be able to make our money back on that. I was like, well, what if we take care of that in exchange for rent? And we'll take care of that, and we'll, we'll pay for the roof and the HVAC in exchange for rent. But here's what we'll do. We'll do it at a $4,000 a month rent credit. And when our rent credit runs out, we roll into a $4,000 a month lease. And they said, okay. Now, if I would have just kept rehearsing, God, this is, this is my building. I don't know what to do. This is my, this is my building. You just, I don't know to tell you, God, this is my building. You're just going to have to give me the building. We would have never got there. But I walked into the conversation open-handed because I had nothing to lose. And in that moment, God spoke. And when he spoke, we were able to not only get a great deal, but you know, we're paying off the roof and the HVAC. But for us as an organization, we are in this facility rent-free for like the next three and a half years. And so God has done some incredible things. He orchestrates creative solutions to the problems you're experiencing. You just got to get rid of all the chaos and the noise and allow that whisper to enter into your situation. I am running out of time. Let's go. First Kings chapter 19, verse 15. We'll keep reading the story. Because after Elijah just keeps saying the same thing over and over again, it says, Then the Lord told him, Hey, go back the same way you came and travel the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, uh, Abimelech, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and anyone who escapes Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. What God does for Elijah, or I'm sorry, Elijah in this moment, it's going to get real confusing next week because we're actually going to talk about Elijah and the transition to Elisha. So you're going to have to bear with me. But here's what he does. He gives him the next thing he needs to do. He gives him what's next, which is why seeking after God in the middle of your disappointment is so incredibly powerful. Because you can stay frustrated with the people who have let you down. You can stay disappointed with God. Or you can begin to seek him for what's next. And when you seek him for what's next, he's going to give you what you need to do. So he tells Elijah, a prophet who is tired and exhausted, hey, you're not the only person left. You're not the only one who's going to be doing this thing. I want you to go back through the wilderness, which is not fun. Most of us would be like, will you take me through a detour to the beach? And then I'll go back to work. He's like, you know, go through the wilderness. Go through some struggles. Go through a period where... 
you've got to really be trusting and be reliant on me. And then when you do that, there's a, a, a work that you need to do next. There's something that I've got for you that I want you to do. And when he does that, he's going to experience fulfillment and he's going to end his race the way God intended him to end it. I think sometimes we allow people to prematurely remove God's faithfulness from our life, and we let people derail the plan and purpose that God has for us. And people didn't call you to this thing, so they don't need to derail what God calls you to do in your life. So the last thing I've got for you is use disappointment as an opportunity to recommit your life to the plans and purposes of God. When we experience disappointment, here's what you need to remember. You need to remember who called you to this in the first place. There are going to be times when you are faithfully serving the Lord. I mean, you are trusting Him. You are obedient. You are serving Him with everything you've got. And people are going to let you down. But don't let people derail you from the plan that God has for your life. They're not the one that called you to this thing. So, so now, like, there's times where I'm, we got over that situation, but let me be honest, there was another one and another one and another one. Because hurt people hurt people. And so rather than just being disappointed and frustrated at the fact that people did you wrong, or did you, here's what I do now. I use it as a reminder for why I do this in the first place. I do this so that hurting and broken people can have an encounter with Jesus and for their life to be changed forever. So guess what? When I get hurt by people, I just remember this is why I do it. And I take a second and I just recommit my life to the plans and purposes of God. I don't have to like it. It's a choice. Choices lead, feelings follow. I don't know who you're frustrated with. I don't know what your struggle is. But I do know that being committed to the plan that God has for your life is the greatest thing you can do. And there's been times where I've been disappointed with God. Say, how does that work? Well, when I come to him and I'm recommitting to his plan and his purpose, I'm reminding myself that the plan of God is way better than anything I could dream up for myself. This is what Ephesians 3.20 says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. Your best plan for your life is nothing in comparison to God's plan. Because he's able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And so the situation you find yourself in, the circumstance you're in, I get it. You're disappointed. You didn't think it was going to be like this, but here's what you and I can remember from the prophet Elijah. He's going to leave this cave and he's going to keep walking out the plan of God. And I think one of the best things you can do to get out of your funk is to stop complaining, to stop rehearsing, and to start walking. To get back on the journey. To get back on the path that God has. I think a big part of your path has to do with being involved in the local church, serving, using your gifts. For some of us, we let dark seasons kind of remove us from those. And I think there's a short period of time. But how crafty of the enemy to convince you that you're disqualified from being used by God. None of us are disqualified. The thing that qualifies us is the Holy Spirit. 
So what you and I can do today is just recommit to that plan and purpose. You are going to experience disappointment. Whatever you do, don't quit walking. For some of you in this room today, it's not a recommitment to the plan and purpose of God. It's a first-time decision. Because you've been the one who's been calling the shots in your life. You've been the one who has been the ruler. You've been the one who has kind of been navigating your own plan and doing whatever you wanted to do. And here's what I learned. I do a really good job of messing my own life up. But when I surrender control of my life over to God, Ephesians 3.20 comes to pass. That he's able to do more than I might ask, think, or imagine. Jesus died so that you could experience that abundant life, so that you could experience immeasurably more. But it starts with the decision to surrender everything to him. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed across the room today, there are some of you who need to begin a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) If that's you, and you say, hey, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Would you just lift your hand? (laughs) Say, hey, that's me. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. We say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, will you do me a favor and help me celebrate with everybody who made decisions today? Come on, you can stand to your feet. Amen. And for some of you today, you need to make that decision to recommit to the plan and purpose. Maybe you've allowed people to derail you. Maybe you've allowed yourself to get off course. But today you'd say, hey, I want to make that decision to throw the stake in the ground to recommit my life to the plan and purpose that God has. So again, with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, if you'd say, hey, that's me, maybe you're off course currently, but today you want to say, God, I want to get on that path. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Hands all around the room, come on. Let me pray over you and then we'll worship. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for the opportunity today to throw a stake in the ground to say we are yours, that God, we are committing our lives to be in your path, your plans, and your purpose. Lord, remind us in those moments of disappointment that you are greater than anything we're facing. We love you, we thank you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.